Check one, check one, two, three. Hey everybody, it's Michael Helms, also known as Michael the Sound Guy, and this is the Location Sound Podcast. You know, each episode we talk with location sound mixers, boom ops, and other industry pros about the various aspects of recording sound on location, whether it's for feature and independent films, TV commercials, interviews, any time where dialogue from actors is recorded. I started my career in the recording studios in New York City with some of the big artists back in the day, and later on projects for networks like HBO, Sci-Fi Channel, and the Cartoon Network. As time went by, I got out of the studio and began working in production sound. Whether you're a seasoned veteran or just starting out, thanks for joining us. All right, my guest today is a Utah-based sound for film enthusiast. He's a freelance production sound mixer and videographer, and he has a YouTube channel where he does in-depth reviews on sound, lighting, and camera gear. Please welcome Curtis Judd. Michael, thanks so much for having me. All right, Curtis, I know you wear a lot of hats when you're on set, but when you're working as a production sound mixer, tell us what's in your audio kit. Just give us a rundown of your mixer, recorder, preferred mics, and everything in between. You got it. So in my sound bag, typically I'm working with the Sound Devices 633 as my main mixer, although that has just uh, recently changed here. Um, we just uh, have an 833 in the house. I haven't had a chance to spend much time with it yet, but that'll probably be replacing my 633 here in the next little bit. Um, as a backup, I usually will bring along a MixPre 10T. I think I had one occasion where I had to pull that out, and it wasn't a technical issue with the 633. It had to do with the number of inputs I needed. <laughs> okay. In terms of microphones, I think probably my favorite, if I'm booming outdoors, is the DPA 4017B shotgun microphone. It's a short shotgun. Um, and then indoors, I'll typically pull out either the Shep CMC 641 or... I also have gotten really good results with the Sennheiser MKH 8050. So those are kind of my two most common in terms of uh, putting out on the boom. Wireless, I'm using the Audio Limited A10 system and a variety of different lavalier microphones with that. I really like the DPA 4160. That one's given me a lot of, for a lot of the corporate type work I do, a lot of uh, kind of like talking head and things of that nature. That works, works out pretty nicely. If I need to hide something a little bit more discreetly, I do have a Countryman B6. And then recently I started working with the new uh, Shure Twinplex TL47 and 48, which are, I've also had really, really good results with those, surprisingly good results with those as well. So those are, those are the LAVs I'm typically working with. What kind of time code do you like to use? Um, I do have a variety of different uh, things. I have some time code systems, the UltraSync 1, and also some of the Tentacle Sync E's. I really like the Tentacle Sync E's. It's really nice to be able to rejam everything directly from your phone if you need to do that. So after lunch or whatever, or dinner or whatever, it's easy to just get, get everything rejammed that way. UltraSync 1 is nice, you know, from the standpoint that it's constantly rejamming. So um, I only I only have a couple of those though. So I, if I've got a bigger job, I usually go with the Tentacle Sync. Okay. And what kind of bag do you put all that in? Uh, this is in the Orca OR30. That bag works nicely for the 633, and I think it'll work nicely for the 833 as well. But when I do have to pull out the MixPre 10T, that one's not a great fit, so I'm actually probably going to be looking at some of those Stingray bags and see if those are a better fit in that case. That that little um, the menu encoder over on the side of the unit instead of it being on the front of the unit really makes it it's challenging in a bag. 
It, it is. And, and I, I use a mix pre-10T sometimes too, and I'm using it as an audio interface now. But yeah, that's the least. I have it all, you know, you've got the little Orca supports to raise it up a little bit so you can at least yep. reach over and, and get in there to change the volume. <laughs> yep, exactly. Exactly. Or, or if you're in the menu, yeah, that can be pretty helpful too. So boom poles, I'm usually uh, out on a K-Tech. I'm actually using the Avalon line mainly. And then I'm in talks with another company. This is a company that hasn't been in the production sound world. They're actually just now entering. They're called Really Right Stuff. And they mostly make tripods for photography. And they're working, they're moving into the cinema space. Um, and they just loaned me a couple of uh, carbon fiber boom poles. They do make mostly tripods for camera, but uh, they're now moving into the boom pole area too. So that that's always, that's always one where you're like, uh, I don't know if these guys really know what they're doing. We'll see. Uh, but I got a chance to look at them this morning, and um, they've actually thought through things pretty nicely. I was I was pretty surprised, but we'll you know once we put it to to work in the real world, we'll see how they hold up. All right. Now uh, let's talk about your YouTube channel. First off, tell the listeners what is it all about. The channel's actually named after my name, but um, we it's kind of branded Learn Light and Sound. So the idea is to help people that are trying to improve their production values especially in the in the realm of sound and in lighting to kind of learn the basics and I think produce much better content as a result of that. So I try to stay away from things like camera reviews. I'm not interested in doing camera reviews. They're just a, it's a quagmire. <laughs> and there are lots of great reviewers out there that can do that stuff. But I think there's a massive gap in terms of learning how to do quality sound. And so that's really probably my first love. We do a little bit on lighting as well, but uh, sound is really, I don't know, for me, that's most people could benefit from improving their their ability to record better quality sound. And so that's what I focus on mostly. How many products have you tested and reviewed over the years? Do you know? I don't know. <laughs> it's actually a good position to be in. I hope it's helpful for some people out there, but I, I've kind of gotten to a point now where we have a subscriber base of about 115,000 people. So the manufacturers have been very kind to me and, and allowed me to borrow gear and, you know, or sent me gear. And we always disclose what the situation is with that, just so that everyone is under, you know, clear on, on how that works. But it's put us in a good spot to be able to start really kind of showcasing what different gear is capable of. And really my focus is, even though it's a gear review, in a lot of cases, I really try to focus on, again, the skill set. How, you know, how do you put this gear to use for best effect? What What are the kind of thing. So for example, you, there, there are a million in the consumer space, there are a million camera top shotgun microphones out there. And what most people assume, and it seems like a fair assumption if you don't know anything about recording sound, is that you hook it on your computer and suddenly your sound will sound like the movies that you go see at the theater. And of course, we all know that's not true. Um, so I really try to focus on, even if I'm going to review one of those camera top shotgun microphones, what I try to do is say, okay, here's a demonstration. If you boom it right here, this is what it sounds like. If I put it five feet away on the camera, this is what it sounds like. And people's eyes just boom, you know, that, that don't have any concept of this whole signal to noise ratio and distance of mic from the sound source. Um, for them, it's a massive eye opener. You know, that, that's the kind of thing that gives me a lot of fulfillment is being able to teach people these very basic principles of recording quality sound. It really makes a big difference. And a lot of them, I'm just really proud of what some of the people have accomplished. They've really, really improved the quality of sound that they're able to record. Well, that's good. Yeah. And you don't just rush through it. You really go in depth. We try, yeah, we try to, to go into depth. I think a lot of it too, is that of those, you know, of the audience, they're there's a whole range of people. So if I'm going to cover something like the Shure Twinplex, these are microphones, lavalier microphones that run about $450 US. That's not really an enthusiast-priced lavalier microphone. 
but when I do it, I, obviously I'm going to give, do the audio samples so that the you know someone that would be in that market can actually hear what it sounds like, at least on my voice and maybe a, a couple of other voices. But also what I try to do along the way is explain, A, why I think these microphones cost so much more than a consumer-grade lavalier microphone and what kind of features they have that pros really demand. You know, a production sound mixer really needs something that they can rely on. They need a cable that's well-designed, that they've done a lot of R&D to make sure that there's some shielding on there so that we're not going to have a whole bunch of issues with, you know, maybe RF interference or something that's going to pull out very easily. All those kind of things. There's just a lot of considerations that consumers don't realize go into a lot of the pro-level gear. And so I spent quite a bit of time talking about that stuff too. Now, sometimes you're, you get gear that doesn't quite always work out. So you don't have to mention any brands, but can you tell some <laughs> horror stories about trying to work on some of this equipment that's not quite working? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I have, uh, there was a company who shall remain nameless uh, that sent me over, again, it was probably kind of what I would consider consumer level, maybe prosumer level wireless mic system. They actually sent me over the course of the years now, they've sent me four different wireless systems. And I would say that only one of them actually ended up working well enough to to do a review on it. Um, it was that bad. I mean, the others were just so horrific that I called them up and basically said, this is not worth my viewer's time. It's um, I don't think you want me reviewing this at this point. <laughs> um, so if you want it back, you know where to get it. Send me a label and I'll, I'll happily ship it back to you. That's typically going to fall in the consumer space. That's where you're going to see that kind of thing. You know, it, when you get into the professional level gear, I, I don't generally run into reliability issues. Usually the product does what it's supposed to do. I can't think of a single situation where it didn't. But that is where you start to find situations where... What is uh, Electrosonics, a PDR, I think they call it, the little body pack recorder. That's not for everybody, and it's not for every situation. But that's that's where, in that review that I did a few years ago now, we kind of focused on, okay, what are the situations where this would work? Here's a feature set, of course. Here's an example, some sample recordings with it. But I think for in that case, there was a lot of just education about, okay, what are the kind of situations where you might want to use something like this? Like if you're in an absolute pickle where none of your wireless is working for whatever reason, um, here's a potential opportunity. Or if you've got, you know, athletes and you're miking up the athletes for some reason for a reality show, you know, and you've got to mic up a whole team, uh, <laughs> you're not necessarily equipped to, to take that many channels of wireless. Maybe that's a situation. Um, you know, there's just a lot of different things in that case. I guess in that case, the, the interesting thing about that particular one is it has a, a time code input. So you can actually jam the body pack recorder but what I didn't realize until I kind of dug into it a little bit more is it doesn't actually have a, it's not a TCXO, you know, a crystal oscillator in there. So it's really kind of a just get you in the general ballpark type of sync kind of workflow. So that's important for people to know too. I think, you know, if, if a production sound mixer wouldn't want to pick that up thinking, oh, I've got a time code box in this thing too. That's awesome. Let's get it. Um, and then realize, oh, no, actually you don't. <laughs> just using the RTC in that case. So. All right. Now, I know uh, your subscribers interact with you a lot, and they have a lot of questions about audio gear. So what are, let's say the top three questions that you get the most. Ooh, it depends on the segment of the audience, I think. Um, I think if you're talking about someone that is uh, actually doing location sound, their, their questions obviously are going to be quite a bit different than a consumer that has no clue about the difference between a UHF versus a 2.4 gigahertz wireless system. So obviously there's a difference there, but I think the, the pros are usually going to ask very pointed questions about, you know, does it have this capability? Can you speak to, you know, I, I've had some questions, for example, from some guys that do some, some 
production sound jobs on this Twin Shureplex review, which I did a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, they had very pointed questions about, you know, how, you know, since you've been working with these for a couple of months now, when do you pull these out versus your DPA versus your Countryman B6 versus your, you know, whatever. Um, so kind of interesting, thoughtful questions along that, those lines. Now, when you get into the consumer space, whew, you can get anything, you know, and, and I think a lot of what happens in that space is that people will write, and, and I'm not trying to criticize anybody, but a lot of times they'll say, should I get this wireless system or this one? And that's a fine question if I knew kind of the background, what they're trying to accomplish, what their budget is, um, you know, how, what's their ability to do retakes if they need to do retakes, you know, so on and so forth. Because those are all factors, I think, that go into answering those types of questions. I think from my point of view, there's no such thing as a perfect piece of gear in a particular domain. You know, there's no perfect microphone. There's no perfect audio recorder. It really depends on the situation and what you're trying to accomplish. Is a MixPre-10T good enough for a production sound mixer to use? Probably, you know, in the certain in the right circumstances, but I don't think that somebody's going to want to sit at a cart with a MixPre 10T with really complex routing needs and use a MixPre 10T. Probably, you know, they're probably going to want something with a you know maybe a 688 or a, a Diva or something else where they can they get a little more sophisticated with the routing and things of that nature. When you have a lot of those different types of requirements that you're going to find on proper film sets with a with a larger budget production. I like your straightforward, honest approach. You, I think you did a video, well, you did do a video a few years ago with the sound devices 633, and it was titled, Why Do Pros Use Gear Like This? And I, I really like that kind of, because that's the thing, like there's a whole, well, why can't I just use this inexpensive prosumer device or versus this? And if you're, a, if you're an enthusiast filmmaker, you certainly can. And you can probably get really good results if you kind of hone your skills. If you get the microphone placed right, if you get the lavaliers hidden well so that you're not getting a ton of clothing noise and, you know, so on and so forth. So yeah, it really just depends on the situation. And even, you know, a common question I've heard lately is that now that Sound Devices has released the, the 833 and their new two series of the Mix Pre, um, I think a, a legitimate question from an enthusiast that I hear time and again is, well, should I get an 833? Or use 633, or should I get a Mix Pre 2 series? Again, that that's gonna, you know, it's a fair question for someone that that has that level of skill to understand. Okay, when you're on set, do you have to do context to a script supervisor or to a director? Do you have to communicate with your boom op, or are you booming yourself? You know, all these types of questions that really kind of help you narrow down and figure out does it make sense to go with the six or eight series versus the the mix pre series. And I think it becomes pretty clear for people. And hopefully, you know, again, that's what makes me feel good is when we, when we help someone understand, okay, here's the difference between this level of gear and that level of gear. And this is what'll probably fit my production better, you know, or what I'm trying to accomplish. I'm going to be working on independent films with no budget. So a mix pre totally makes sense. Uh, I know a lot of the new mixers have come out and they all have, or many of them have the 32-bit float recorders. So tell us a little bit about, you know, I know some of our listeners may or may not know, but tell us a little bit about what is the benefit of the 32-bit float recording. I'm glad you asked that because I think that, I think there's a, some misunderstanding about that a little bit. Um, from from my point of view, I think we actually probably should use a, a different term to describe that. I think it really should be called wide dynamic range recording or something like that. The problem with calling it 32-bit float recording is that that's only kind of highlighting one aspect of the overall capability of that feature. So, for example, the, the new Mix Pre 2 series, 
um, has this capability. Zoom has announced a recorder that's supposed to also have this, but it's not shipping yet. So there's that. And then even Tentacle Sync just released what they call their Track E, which is a little body pack recorder um, that evidently also has this capability. And typically what it involves is you have two or more analog to digital converters. The multiple analog to digital converters will handle different parts of the range in terms of amplitude, and then they'll combine that and record it to a 32-bit float file. So the idea is that you can achieve a much wider dynamic range. There are a couple things, so thoughts that I think a lot of people don't understand about this. If you're going to be using wireless, most wireless systems aren't going to be able to take advantage of that wider dynamic range. You know, we already have 24-bit recording in quality recorders and mixers, we can already handle a pretty wide dynamic range from my point of view, you know, 120 dB or whatever. There are very few wireless systems that can go a long way beyond that anyway. And then if you talk about boom microphones, even even some, you know, a lot of microphones can go beyond that, but not necessarily a long ways beyond that. So, so there's that consideration. But the idea is, getting to your question finally, that was a long way to get there, <laughs> is that if you perhaps make a mistake during gain staging, that there is a potential that you'll be able to save that in post. So even though you'll exceed zero dB in recording, in post you can bring it into a 32-bit float capable digital audio workstation, pull that down, and all that information will still be there, In at least in theory. I mean, I imagine at some point you'll saturate the analog stage and you know, you'll, you'll get some weird stuff going on there or even clipping eventually in, in the analog stage. But if you get lucky, <laughs> you'll still be within that range and you can capture all that in a 32-bit float file. So that's the main idea. Another thing is that in theory, you should be able to uh, make the opposite or the inverse mistake as far as gain staging. And if you're staging it way too low and you say have 40 dB of headroom, in your recording, you should be able to pull that back up. And because you're using a 32-bit float and those multiple analog to digital converters, you should be able to get, you know, a very usable file. It, you won't pull the, the noise floor up so high that it's completely unusable. So that's the main idea. What's interesting to me is that Sound Devices put that into their Mix Pre 2 series, but it's not in the Scorpio, their brand new kind of flagship, and it's not in the 833, which is their new kind of, you know, smaller form factor location sound mixer workhorse so i'm still kind of processing that and what that means exactly but i think in most cases that feature is a nice to have there are probably some circumstances where it would be helpful you've got a, you know a jet airplane flying doing a flyby and you're not sure how loud it's going to be so gain staging can be kind of hard that gives you a little bit more margin to you know you may not get it perfectly on the first pass but maybe on the second pass you'll dial it in and so that first pass won't be a a trash take if you will. I guess that's one situation. One thing that Paul Isaacs brought up as a possibility is if you're recording the very soft raindrops falling on concrete, and then suddenly you get a thunderclap, um, where 32-bit would potentially help in that circumstance as well. So, I, you know, for me, it's a, it's a, it's a nice new feature. It's a tool. It could be useful every once in a while, but I don't necessarily see it as a uh, something that I would use every day in every situation. And that's not really a firmware update, is it? I mean, is, there's there's got to be some some hardware items in there, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a hardware thing. So you've got to have the multiple analog to digital converters per channel. You know, you've got to have, in, in the first place, you've got to have a very good, strong analog stage that can actually, you know, deliver what the multiple analog to digital converters are going to do. So... There are a lot of pieces that have to be in place. And then there's also, I, I don't know if this is programmable from in terms of firmware, but the whole, the algorithm that has to piece 
you know, create a crossover at some point to bring the multiple analog to digital conversion together into a single 32-bit float. That's not trivial. Um, and I think that's largely what the sound devices patent that's available out publicly talks about is how, you know, how they went about doing that. So maybe that's maybe that's something that's done in the FPGA. I'm not sure how they're doing it, but that that single piece of it might be a you know something they can tweak as far as firmware updates are concerned. But. Mm. We'll see. <laughs> right. <laughs> Now, uh, you've reviewed a lot of prosumer as well as pro gear, and I know that many of our listeners, especially when they're starting out, they don't have the money to go pro, all pro gear. So when do you recommend the jump to pro gear? I'm a big believer in don't go into debt. I don't know that that's a wise idea. I think there's a lot of things you can learn with prosumer gear, working on, you know, working with your buddies on really small budget things. Corporate video is a great place to kind of cut your teeth as far as a relatively small budget jobs. And I think you can, I think it's important for people to learn the absolute fundamentals and not worry about jumping into the high-end gear. I think you should move into the high-end gear when you're at a point where your skill level has delivered everything that your hardware is possibly capable of delivering and you still have problems delivering to your clients. That's when it's time to start looking at more expensive pro-level gear. And at that point, I think you'll most likely be in a situation where you're going to be able to get jobs where there'll be a little bit more budget and you can start to fund those kinds of things. So, you know, honestly, today, in today's world, in 2019, you can pick up a mix pre and you can produce great recordings with that. You've got to have some skills to do it, obviously, but you can do some really great stuff with that, especially on smaller budget things where you don't need all the sophisticated routing. You don't necessarily need to feed contacts. You don't have to do, you know, wireless hops to camera and things of that nature. You can make some really great recordings with a mix pre. Well, what audio gear manufacturer should we be looking at? Do you, have you come across anybody that maybe something's coming up that you think is a, is a company to kind of look into? In the place where I sit, where I am talking a lot with prosumers as well, it's very interesting to watch the play between sound devices and Zoom. Um, you know, Zoom has come along with their their F8, their F4, their F8N, and now they've announced this F6 recorder. And there are a lot of things about those that, from my point of view, certainly on the F6 side, that make it a challenge to use for a location sound job and certainly for a, like a bigger production. But they've come a long way. I mean, if you consider that the F8, I think the original field recorder they released was in 2016, so three years ago, um, the F8N is a pretty capable, I mean, there are guys out there actually making a living with that. So I think that's something to keep, a, keep an eye on. I think they're coming from a very different direction. It's interesting to see sound devices coming down market with their Mix Pre series and Zoom coming way up market with their Zoom F series. And they're starting to, you know, in some, there's some things about those Zoom recorders that were really nice, you know, that, that Mix Pre until the second generation didn't have, you know, they had the inbuilt time code generators on the, even on the F4, their little four input model. Um, and it's a good, it's a good time code generator. Like it, you could actually rely on it. <laughs> One thing that's interesting about Zoom is that they kind of take a different approach. So for example, in, in all the sound devices gear, you'll get these analog limiters to help you in terms of managing, you know, overmodulation and things of that nature. Just, you, you still have to gain stage correctly, so on and so forth. But um, those will be there for those rare circumstances. On the Zoom side, they implement that in purely in the digital realm. And, you know, that's a tricky thing to do because if you've already saturated your analog stage, there's not really anything you can do to get that back in the digital stage, but they do some kind of tricky things. So 
when you turn on the limiter on a Zoom F4 or a Zoom F8, without telling you, it's actually reducing the analog input gain by 10 dB. And then what it does is as the audio comes through and it goes through the analog to digital converter, if it won't clip, it'll just boost it by 10 dB. And because they're using relatively high quality converters, they can usually get away with that. And so it's just a very different approach. Not my favorite approach, um, but you know, it works pretty well under most circumstances. And uh, you know, they're able to keep the cost of those down to the point where they're very, very appealing to independent filmmakers. You know, they can, they can stretch and afford a thousand dollar recorder or the little four input version, I think is about 600 bucks. So it's kind of an interesting play to see between sound devices and, and I don't think really sound devices sees Zoom as a massive threat, but I think on the low end of the market, they certainly can be. Now, is there some uh, some gear out there that that you've reviewed that you know people need to know about, and it's just they just haven't gotten the exposure yet? I think the Shure Twinplex fall into that category. The new lavaliers from Shure. Um, Shure has been big in the theater and live kind of sound reinforcement space for many, many, many years, um, but they haven't had as much presence in the in the film and video world. And those new Twinplex are actually they sound really good to me. They seem like they put a lot of thought into the design in terms of durability. Um, they come with all the different types of terminations that you're going to need for the various, you know, wireless systems that most of us are using in the film world. So I think that's one worth actually checking out. I think the thing that they're going to run up against is, you know, right now we see DPA miniaturizing and miniaturizing. We have, I think there was just a new announcement today of a new DPA lavalier mic that's, you know, kind of countryman B6 size. Um, it'll be interesting to see how those sound, but I think that's one of the things that that sure is going to have to pursue at some point. And they do have a smaller version, but they're not, they're not the like super sub miniature kind of size that, that we sometimes have to resort to <laughs> based on costume or, or wardrobe or whatever. So that's one that I, that's worth checking out. I talked with, um, oh, there's another company, Sonosax, I think many of us have heard of uh, because they've been on carts for a long time in terms of the, the you know, the mixers or the control surfaces. Um, I'm hopeful that I'll get a chance to look at, they have a, a mixer recorder as well that I want to take a look at. So uh, that'll be an interesting one to get my hands on too. I'm not even sure what the pricing looks like on that one, but that's that's one that'll be interesting to take a look at. All right. Now, what gear, what new gear are you thinking about adding to your audio kit? I think for me, probably it's just building out my wireless capability. You know, instead of having to rent every time I get a a six wires job, instead of having to rent, I'd rather just have that on hand. Um, I've had really good experience with the Audio Limited A10. You know, there's always the the reality of the the fact that Zaxcom owns the patents on a lot of the the technology they put into their recorders, and they have some really cool features. You know, the the transmitter recording, the ability to completely control the transmitters from the mixer, really great features. Um, but I, and I don't get that with my Audio Limited A10. I have a, instead I have a Bluetooth app on my phone. <laughs> Um, and I can record only if I'm using a boom mic, not if I'm using lav mic. So anyway, that's probably the first thing that I'll add here to my kit next um, beyond the 833, which which we just basically added now. So the thing that, that I'm finding more is I do need to be prepared and in a situation where I can, I can communicate a little bit more across that. So being able to bring on a boom op, some of the jobs I've done where I am mixing from a bag and boom opping at the same time are just getting too complex. It's just... I need a boom operator and hopefully someday a utility too. But for now, <laughs> um, just having a boom operator would make a huge difference. And that's where I think the 833 is going to kind of open some things up for me. All right. 
Now, you originally started off in photography. So how did you, how did all that start? Well, my brother has uh, been a in the music world for a long time. And so I learned a lot about sound recording from him. When he first got his first rig to do studio recording, he came over to my house with the new gig and he had a, you know, a universal audio channel strip. And uh, at the time, this was years ago now, uh, but a Digi 003 interface and a Neumann mic. And, and that's where I really kind of learned kind of the basics of, you know, sound and how to record sound. And then once the DSLRs got the video capabilities, it was kind of a natural move where a lot of my clients at the time, and I was just doing it as a side job. It was just a, you know, a for fun job, but most of them started asking for video. And so that's where I kind of moved over into that world and was able to bring some of the things that I learned in terms of music recording over to the, to the, you know, to the video world and kind of pick that up from there. What is your favorite project? I guess you've worked on doing production sound. Well, the funny thing is, is some of them never see the light of day. That's a, that's a lesson that, <laughs> that a lot of new people don't realize is there are some productions that you, that never, never make it. You get paid, you go away and you, and they never actually get finished. Um, but there was one that I did. It was actually a commercial piece. It was kind of goofy, but the storyline was really fun. It was this older woman who was trying to pitch the value of this without going into all the details, sort of a technology product. And so she was, um, you know, she's an 80 some year old woman spouting off all these technical terms. And it was just a fun, it was a fun group. It was a guy that I work with a fair bit. He actually works mainly in reality TV, uh, but he also does some side commercial jobs. And so this was a little commercial piece. And I, the thing that was fun about it for me was just the crew was a lot of fun to work with. The, the you know, the script was fun. The, the cast was a lot of fun to work with. It was just, it was just a good time. And there was nothing particularly complex about the you know, the job in terms of audio recording. It was pretty straightforward, to be honest. Um, but it was just a fun time. Yeah, I think those are some of my favorites where, yeah, it's, it's not necessarily complex, but everybody's doing a good job and it's just all clicking. The crew's happy. The the talent is happy. The, it's just coming together. So those are always fun. Yeah. And they've done some, you know, in the cases where they've done some pre-production, they actually know what they're doing. <laughs> they, they don't overschedule things. And, um, you know, they got everything in the can in two days, just like they had planned. It's just, yeah, I agree with you. It's just a lot of fun when everything comes together. Everyone gels, it works, everyone working well together. Just a lot of fun. It's really fulfilling. You know, I was working on a, a feature over the weekend with some, with a friend of mine and he, his, his whole team, they were, I think they're MFA students, but it wasn't a, it wasn't a school project. It was their, just a little, uh, you know, passion project. And those people were so passionate so like it's like we've all been on set where some people you can just tell don't really want to be there everybody wanted to be there and everybody was bringing their a game and i was really impressed it was kind of like you know this is this is really nice so at least that was my feeling i was like this is cool <laughs> yeah yeah and that and that's that is that is a lot of fun when that happens there but i'm sure uh, we've all had them there are also those gigs where i think when you're working with a less experienced crew, you know, a DP may take 45 minutes, maybe 60 minutes to set up a scene that I think an experienced crew could probably set up in 15 minutes and roll. And, you know, the whole thing is overscheduled. So we were supposed to get, you know, seven of those shots in a single day. And by the time you add in lunch and all the other little things that happen <laughs> on a production, um, we ended up not finishing on time or we end up doing, you know, 
a 14 hour day when we were only scheduled to do a 10 hour day, those are a little bit more challenging. And I think it's important for people to realize that if you're going to get into production sound, you know, you have to be ready. That's going to happen sometimes. It's going to be, there's going to be a mix of jobs and they'll all be learning opportunities. I think, you know, if, if you're someone who has worked on set enough and you do have some of that experience um, in some, and, and I'm talking at least non-union jobs here, um, you can become a mentor, you know, and I think that's a worthy consideration is, is you know, if there's someone who's new on set, um, you can help give them a little, you know, a little, you know, in a, in a kind way that's not, you know, like unsolicited advice, <laughs> but you can help someone who's a little bit newer to the scene, um, you know, help them along and give them some tips here and there, show them little things, uh, tricks of the trade that'll help them along a little bit too. And that's always, it's always a little bit fun too. Now, did you have any mentors along the way that helped you out? Well, I think my brother is probably my biggest mentor uh, and just, and, and, and he doesn't, he, he actually now is a producer for video content. And so, <laughs> um, but he, but the biggest help he gave me was back in the day when he was doing studio recording of music, um, just in terms of all the skills there, that's probably my biggest mentor there. I don't want to leave anybody out. I'm sure there, I mean, I've learned from a ton of different people. There's so many people out there that help you along, especially when you're brand new in the film world. Um, I think the thing is just to go in with the best possible attitude, be there to do your best, bring your A game. You know, if you, if you really aren't into a particular job, don't take it. That's not going to help anybody. I guess one question I do get a lot kind of going, harkening back to one of your earlier questions is a lot of people that decide, Hey, I want to get into production sound. How do I get jobs? And the first question I often hear is, should I buy a sound devices? as if that's going to magically get them jobs. And <laughs> the answer is no. I mean, I mean, yeah, buy a sound devices if you have the money to do it. That's great. But that's not what's going to get you jobs. And maybe in the, back in the day, maybe pre-internet, that did get you the jobs because if you had a sound devices mixer or recorder, people could reasonably assume that you probably knew what you were doing. Um, but nowadays, I think what gets you to jobs is the contacts. You just need to go out, bring your A-game to everything you do, and you'll make contacts and that's when the jobs it's usually people that i know or friends of friends you know i just i have another job that we just lined up here and that was a friend of a friend they or actually that one was funny because it was actually two separate of my friends told this other guy you got to hire curtis he's he's your guy <laughs> for the job and i think it's really about making those contacts and, and and those contacts come when you're a genuine person you bring your a game you do a good job and you get to know people and you become friends with them that's good now, when you're wiring talent on set, what kind of expendables do you like to use? I do use the right coat stickies in a lot of cases. I also use a lot of uh, moleskin. I still, I, I don't know if that's become less popular these days. It seems like it has in some respects, but I, I find that a lot of cases, if I'm dealing with a tricky situation where I'm still picking up clothing, Russell, a lot of times moleskin has helped out. But I think that's probably the the most common thing. I I do you know the like the Sankin comes with the what's I don't know what that little rubber piece or kind of plastic piece is called the little RM11. Yeah, right. Those can be helpful in some cases, but I've had mixed results with those as well. I'm sure the new Sure Twin Plex come with a similar type thing, a little kind of isolation silicone thing. So I, I find that yeah, either the stickies or moleskin is probably you know I use a lot of the I use some medical tape that's typically going to to kind of like isolate cable movement and things of that nature, and then you know I've heard people call it uh, snot tape or the uh, Joe's sticky stuff often comes in handy as well. So those are probably my main things in the kit. All right. Well, we have to ask, what was your worst onset experience? <laughs> I was prepared for this. I've, I listened to the podcast um, when I was new. 
one of my first jobs, uh, I was really excited about it. It was a short film that, you know, just sort of an indie, indie thing. And uh, I, I got all my gear together. It was on a Saturday, planned everything well ahead, had my kit all laid out the night before, got everything loaded up. It was about two, a two-hour drive to get to location. And I realized I did not bring my lavalier hiding kit. So <laughs> I ended up using a lot of gaff tape um, and we ended up using mostly the boom in the final cut. So <laughs> uh, from that point, what I, the, obvious, the obvious lesson I learned there, and that's what I think a mistake that a lot of newbies will make is that they don't have a checklist. And I think you have to have a checklist. There's just no good reason to not have a checklist that you go through just as a sanity check every time you're packing up for a job. And even if some of the things on the checklist don't apply to that particular job, at least you've done the sanity check to make sure, okay, yeah, I've got everything I'm going to need for this particular case. So if it's good enough for pilots that fly aircraft, it's good enough for a sound mixer as well. Exactly. <laughs> well, how do you handle the work and personal life balance? Ooh. Well, I, I don't know that I'm a, a paragon of, you know, a great example of that. <laughs> um, I, so I have a day job. Uh, I'm a videographer for a company. And I'm also a product manager for that same company. So that's my full-time day job. I have the YouTube business uh, where I, I, you know, I have online courses and I do the gear reviews and the instructional videos on YouTube. That's all weekends and evenings. Um, when I create the new courses, I usually have to take vacation time from my day job to do that. Because those usually take about a week to put together for each one. And then the location sound jobs, when I get those, those are either on the weekend or I take a vacation day from my day job to do those as well. So I do probably six to 10 of those a year. That's where I'm probably a, a fair bit different than all of your other guests is that I'm not a full-time uh, production sound mixer. But between all of those, I think it's just a matter of scheduling and and developing a workflow that helps you be as efficient as possible. So Checklist is a great example. If I need to pack for a job now, I can be ready for a location sound job easily, you know, in terms of packing everything up and getting into the car. I can usually do that within about 45 minutes, maybe 30 minutes, depending on the job. I think a newbie, that may take a little bit longer. When talking about, you know, producing a new video for the YouTube channel, I've got a workflow that works there. So I have a, you know, kind of a, an outline of things that I need to do to test the gear beforehand, to become familiar with it, put it through its paces enough to feel like I have enough comfort level to talk about it. And that's going to be usually, if, you know, over a few weeks, I may uh, use a new microphone that I'm going to be reviewing three weeks from now. So I might use it on, you know, three different episodes just to kind of get used to it and know how it's, what its limitations are, what its kind of strengths are. Um, then I also have to do some formal testing in most of those cases as well. So it's just really kind of working together and doing a lot of planning and scheduling <laughs> to make sure you can fit all that in. And don't talk, please don't talk to my wife about my work-life balance because I think she'll have a very different perspective <laughs> on how well I'm doing at, at, at work-life balance. Yes. I think there's a lot of wives out there like that. So, all right. Well, uh, if you could go back and give yourself some advice or do something different, what would you do? There, there are a couple of things. I think, number one, I would have made those checklists a lot earlier on. Documenting things, I think, is a, is a worthwhile thing. At the end of a job... I think it's useful to sit down and reflect and figure out, okay, what are the things that that made me not as effective on set today as I could have been? What are some things I could have done beyond what I did that would have made things easier for everyone around me? You know, so I think really kind of focusing on that early on in your career and continuing kind of just doing that on a regular basis, I think is really, really useful. Another thing I would do is tell myself is this was my own particular path, and I don't know if everyone else is like this too. I think some I think a lot of people actually are, is that if you're starting off in the consumer space, that's fine. Focus on 
sharpening your skills and don't don't upgrade every time a new product comes out just because a new product comes out and it seems like at some emotional level it feels like oh this is going to change my game i'm going to be the guy that everyone wants to hire once i have a xyz um, because that's generally a not the case <laughs> and b if your skills aren't up to really kind of putting you know getting the most out of that you're better off focusing on your skills and, and sharpening your skills and and doing the things that you need to do to get better at hiding lavalier microphones to get better at booming the mic to get better at communicating with the director and the post team on what exactly do they want do they need a, a stereo mix um, you know if you're working on independent films a lot of times they don't even know what they want you know and and being able to kind of advise them and help make their jobs easier i think is really important too so i guess to sum that up i wouldn't spend as much time you know kind of being envious over the newest product out there but instead focusing more on my skills and then once i found myself in a situation at a very logical level limited by my gear i'm not able to deliver something i need to deliver to a client because of my gear that's when it makes sense to kind of think about okay now it's time to think about upgrading and to fund that with proceeds from previous jobs yes <laughs> Well, when people approach you about getting into production sound, what do you usually recommend that they do? What I well, I I would like to be able to say I send them to film school. You know, it's interesting when I talk to people that have gone to film school, even those that are interested in doing production sound. The theme that I hear is that most film schools don't have much to offer in terms of instructing people about production sound. It's pretty rare. At best, it seems like they may have an adjunct faculty that comes in every once in a while and teaches a sound class at a, and usually it's at a very high level so um, that's a tough one i think from my point of view really a mentor is the most valuable thing you can get and it's tricky to know how to to suggest to do that i mean you know we're in a world now where we have the internet and you can learn a lot online but you can't really learn some things until you go out and actually have hands-on experience with it and so if you can get onto a crew working as a utility i think that's a great a great thing. There's some really great mixers out there under which you can learn a lot about production sound. Um, even if you want to just help out with corporate video and, and, you know, even if you're volunteering your time, I, that's a, that's a tricky situation. Just focus on getting your hands and your, you know, your mind, that experience in production sound, however you can. I, I like to think that, you know, there, there are mentor E opportunities out there for people to learn um, I don't know if I know the secret to really getting into that. I think I have some online courses that'll help, uh, but you still have to go out and, you know, really get your hands dirty and start doing it before you start learning. I mean, there's something about human nature where we don't learn a lot of our lessons until we go experience it ourselves and make some of those mistakes. Yes. I wish we could share so much of all the mistakes we made, but sometimes yeah. you, they just have to go make them. Absolutely. Well, they can listen to the Location Sound podcast and tell them that. <laughs> That'll help. <laughs> well, hopefully it's helping. <laughs> well, that's good. Well, Curtis, as we kind of start to wrap things up, what's the best way for people to uh, find out more about you? Well, uh, probably the easiest way is to find me over on learnlightandsound.com or over on YouTube. Just look up Curtis Judd. You'll, I think I have 400 or so videos up there now, so <laughs> you'll trip on them at some point. <laughs> yeah, and they're good ones, so go check those out, everybody. All right, I want to say thanks to Curtis Judd for being on the show today. Thanks so much, Michael. Really been a pleasure. And a big thanks to all of our listeners out there. 
If you'd like us to discuss a particular topic, please send us an email at locationsoundpodcast at gmail.com. We would love for you to subscribe and leave us a comment. We're available on Apple Podcasts, and for Android users, check out Google Podcasts. Also, we're on Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, and on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, remember, sound is half the picture.